So I went to Ireland once. I got to visit Ireland. It was a short trip. Uh, we had two little girls. I think Claire was five at the time, and Autumn was not yet one. She was just a little baby. And we, had, we, were in, we, we lived in Scotland. We were visiting Ireland. She had this little lamb hat that she wore. It turned her into a little cute lamb. I'm like, oh, those were the days. And so um, even I had this rush trip that we made to, to Ireland because we'd always wanted to see it, and the flights were like $25 a pop. Uh, from Scotland, so we went over and uh, we, we went to Dublin and get, did, did everything you'd want to do in, in Dublin to en enjoy Ireland. And then we saw a flyer for this uh, tour, a bus tour that you could take across the countryside and it would take you to all of the Celtic ruined monuments, like all of the old Celtic spaces that you could go visit and the, the places. And so we thought, why not? We're here, let's do it. We paid the money, we, we got on the bus, and it was like this 15-passenger bus, and we had these two kids, and one of them was a baby, and we're like, how is this going to go? We had no idea. It was awesome. I would suggest if you're ever in Ireland and Dublin and you find the Celtic history tour, do it. They, could, they take you to all sorts of places. The first stop was early in the morning. And you know, I don't know if you've ever been on a tour like this, but you get up and you didn't have, quite have time to eat because you're just in a rush to make it on time and your stomach's rumbling. And then you get on this bus and you start driving. You get a little bit of motion sickness and you're like, oh. And, and so this is the scenario in which we're, we're starting off the day. And it's like everything you can imagine. The, the fog was thick. We were going through the Irish countryside, visiting ancient Celtic sites. And the first place they brought us to, and I don't even remember the name of this place, but it was where the, um, Saint, there's a, a, a statue of St. Patrick, and there was this pillar that stood about, I don't know, chest high. And the story goes is that this is where the Irish king was crowned in the ancient times. This was the, the sacred holy spot where the Irish king was crowned. And the legend has it, says the tour guide, you never know if these guys are telling the truth or not, Legend has it that someday an Irish king will come back and lift their leg up and put it on this pillar and some sort of celestial encounter will happen and the heavens will open and everyone will know that the Irish king is back and actually they're still waiting for this, so, so the tour guide says. And so we, we see this, we hear the story, it's foggy, you can't see but 100 yards in the distance and... Uh, um, uh, everyone's moving on to the next site, and I'm like, you know what, I have Irish ancestry. <laughs> so everyone's going off, they're off into the, the cloud, and I'm alone by this pillar. I'm looking around. I'm like, I'm not very flexible, but here goes nothing, you know? So I went up and I kicked my leg up on top of the pillar, and nothing happened. The people of the world in various cultures, in various places, wait for kings. It could be hundreds and hundreds of years um, since their last king was crowned, and yet they wait. It's a thing that is a phenomenon all over the world. And to bring you straight into the Christmas story, these people were waiting. They were waiting for their king to come back. It had been 500 years, at least 500 years, since the last king was crowned in Jerusalem. And when Jesus was born, they were still waiting for their king to come back. And they, they, they knew one thing, and at least one thing, that it, this, this child was going to be from the line of David. There's going to be an ancestor of David that will have a throne, that will sit upon a throne in a, his kingdom, and the, the kingdom will never end. That was what was on their hearts as they were waiting. And as we prep for Christmas, 
as we prep for December 24th, which we celebrate the birth of Jesus on that starry night, and on the 25th when we, everything pauses in our culture in order to remember and celebrate, we oftentimes just rush straight into the, those days, and they can be filled with so much pressure to cook and purchase and bless that the day rushes past, and we go, okay, once again, it's, it's rushed past. And the invitation that I've been trying to give to us for the past couple of weeks, and the invitation that I'd like to extend to you once again, is you have some time yet to prepare, to, to, to prepare yourselves for that day so when it comes, you're not just rushed, rushed into the moment, but that you've actually prepped and you can push aside the things, that, the things that are unneeded and remember once again that the king came. Now, so what, right? The king came. What does that matter to us? Um, I believe that just like so many things of, of God, that um, we can turn the things that were made to bless us and to renew us into the things that enslave us. Here's what I mean. I mean, Christmas is not made, oh, sorry, humans are not made for Christmas. We're not, we're, we're not supposed to be slaves to this, to this holiday. But Christmas is made for us to free us and to remind us that once time, once, once, one time every year, God is desiring to do in us something new a renewal work, to refresh us, to renew us once again, no matter what it looks like, no matter how our life has progressed so far, no matter how many times you, you hit a dead end when you think you're just gonna, you're gonna make your break, um, no matter how many, how, how many things in your life look like they're just never gonna be true, the, the dreams that you have, God is a God who surprisingly renews. So this, is, this happens, I believe, once every year. And God's Holy Spirit chooses to work within this holiday season that we create to try to remind us of that. And we get so caught up and so mixed up in all of the rest of everything that Christmas isn't. And so this particular year, because the church is in a year of trying to get better at praying, that's, if you're new, that's, you'll, this is something that you'll need to know. The church this year is kind of challenged and getting ready to try to do better in our prayer life and to grow in our prayer life. Because of that, my invitation this year is simple. is to try to start reading five psalms a day. And I'm teaching you what, how to use the psalms. Every day as you run up to Christmas, as all of the rush happens, can you find a time to read five psalms a day and allow that to create this space inside of you, inside of your holiday season? I'm teaching you to do it. And of course, we have to resist consumerism and we have to um, learn to, to, to push back all of the pressures which aren't of God. But this year, I'm simply inviting you into the Psalms. So last week, as we started this whole thing, um, we met these two women, Elizabeth and Mary. Mary is the younger cousin of Elizabeth, both of them pregnant. The older Elizabeth was, has, had been in her whole life unable to conceive. The, what, what had been the ruin of her life in her culture was about to be resolved, was about to be undone in a surprising way. And the, this young girl whose life is about to be destroyed culturally, in her society, is going to be comforted by her older cousin. The foundations of Christmas, therefore, and I'm trying to stress this, 
the foundations of Christmas, what it's all about are dreams that have died and the surprising ways in which God chooses to fulfill those dreams. Even so. So Mary, she's going to sing this song last week. We looked at it with its rich echoes of Psalm 103. Um, and the whole point there is to remind us that God is compassionate. He's merciful. He's tender. He remembers that we are weak. And there's a whole thing, whole set of ideas, of verbs that God is up to. He's, here, here it goes, he's forgiving. He's restoring. He's healing, he's satisfying, and he's renewing. That's what Mary's singing about. This deep faith in a God whose activity is about making our youth renewed like the eagles. And all the markers of this rich life of prayer with Mary, if you've noticed, this remembering that she's a humble servant, that she's not in charge of this world, she's almost in poverty, as we'd say. And that, that God is a powerful God who can do many powerful things. And she prays this prayer, and I've invited you to perhaps pray like Mary. How did Mary pray? She praised God. She listed off the reasons why she praised God, and she recapped with a sentence or two. And I've, I've, I've loved the few of you who have emailed me and said, Keith, this whole season of prayer so far, I've, I've begun praying for the first time. I hadn't, I hadn't been praying before, and now I'm praying again. Um, and I, I've, I've loved that. I've loved hearing that. I think that's true of, of many people in this space. Um, and I loved, I loved last week the email I got saying, you know what, I went home and I tried it. I wrote a psalm out. I, I tried to pray a psalm. I wrote my own. Um, and this, this person had been struggling with prayer. So um, invitation is out to you all as, as, as we do this. So Mary leaves. Here, here, that's where we left off last week. Uh, Elizabeth, she's gone into her last month of, of pregnancy, and for whatever reason, Mary leaves. You'd think, Mary, why wouldn't she just stay around to see John being born? Why not? We don't know. She leaves, goes back to her home, and uh, leaves Elizabeth to uh, give birth to John. And so she does. I love this Rembrandt painting of, of the scene. She gives birth. The, the skin is probably a little too white for the reality. But, um, the... She gives birth to a boy named John. Just like it goes in the movies, she has about 30 seconds of labor and gives birth to what looks like a three-month-old. Um, no, that's not how it goes. It was real. She, she went through labor, gave birth to a baby boy. All of her cousins are amazed that this has happened to her. Um, and a miracle happens that they agree that his, his name is going to be John. I'll get back to that at the end of the sermon. His name's going to be John, and Zechariah, just like Mary, can't help himself, and he starts to sing, and out comes a prayer, a spur-of-the-moment prayer that comes out. And just like Mary, and this is what I'm going to highlight for us today especially, just like Mary, out comes the Psalms. These, these Psalms were so, um, so deeply woven into the fabric of their minds and their hearts that when they prayed, out come the psalms. And I'm encouraging us put this, to, to put the psalms so much deeper into our heart that, that when it's time for us to pray, out, out come what sound like psalms. Uh, it's one of the, the most powerful ways to get into a life of prayer. And to illustrate this, I mean, back in their day, uh, Zechariah, would, he was a priest. He would have um, been around the synagogue a whole lot. And he would have, these psalms just would have washed over him. 
And in, their, in that day and age, the Psalms were so part of everyone's mind that when you just pray the first line of a Psalm like he did, and, um, it's going to echo and everyone's going to know what's happening. So here's what I mean. Here's the first line of Zechariah's song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And for anyone who knows the Psalms, you know this as the, the little phrase which ends three Psalm books. Psalm 41 is the end of book one. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel is how Psalm 41 ends. Psalm 72, end of book, oh, I always get this messed up, two or three. The Psalm, uh, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Psalm 106, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. When Zechariah opens his mouth to say this, the first thing everyone's going to think is, oh, he's talking about the Psalms. It's hard for us to get into that culture. So I've given us a little example here. I've, I've taken one of the most famous Christmas songs of our time. And I'm just going to play the first, like, not even the words, the first little intro, to see if you know which song it is. Because this is what would have been happening. Are you ready? Oh, that worked in practice. How is that working now? Do I have to sing it? Okay, here we go. I bet, I bet this works. I bet we know this so well, this actually works. Ready? Let's sing it. I hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ring, ringling too. Come on, it's lovely weather for a sleigh right together with you. Keep going. Okay, you get the point. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Well, I mean, it worked. It kind of still worked. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to move on here. I'm not sure the whole system is in, is in flux. Okay, that's the point. When Zechariah would have prayed this, blessed be Lord God of Israel, psalms, I mean, just like that, they would have been able to, to go on with these psalms and pray these psalms just like we were able to do. Why is it that we have sleigh rides so much so deeply woven in us that on the spur of a moment, without any prep, you guys can do it. It's because that's our culture. Why can't, why can't we do that with the Psalms? What would it look like if I just started off like this? Um, As the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs after God. And then we would go on and be able to pray the whole Psalm 42. Um, and no, it's, it's, it would be a stretch, right? But I'm just saying, this is how much um, how much they have it woven in their hearts. And so, so he begins praying, uh, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Did it, does it work this time? No, oh well. Oh, okay. How fun. My mind was better. Okay, so he goes on praying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of his servant David. Zechariah believes something's begun that hasn't happened in 500 years. Something in the house of David. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. This above all is a psalm about the restoration of the house of David. It's about God's promise that he will return. He will come back, he will visit his people, and something will change. Something deeply will, will be restored it's a psalm, as we go on, um, about freedom. Freedom to worship God with the purity 
of our hearts, um, free, being free to be whole and to praise him and to be poised as human beings and on our feet and ready for God and, and not just simply um, beaten down or dreaming about a day when we will worship God with our hearts with joy once again. Not just hearing secondhand that God can do something in our life from someone's testimony as we sit back, maybe as Zechariah will say, in the valley of the shadow of death. I don't know, I don't know how many people here would say that they're in a place where God has just shown up and surprisingly wowed them with his restoration in their life. Some of you may be there. But I would, I would, I would guess that most of us are probably often in that, that other place, which is waiting, brokenhearted, uh, we would feel like the shadow of death is over us. We're heavy. Uh, one of my mentors told me recently that if you look out on, on a congregation of people just like us sitting here as we dutifully sing our hymns and songs, that every single person is secretly nursing a sorrow. Or maybe not so secretly. Um, we are people who like to hide our issues from one another. Hide the fact that our lives are broken and there's something about, often things about our life that aren't fulfilled or uh, aren't coming true the way we want them to. This is Zechariah's psalm. His psalm is saying, um, our people have been brokenhearted. It's a, it's a song for his whole people. They've been under the shadow of death and yet God has come back and he's going to redeem us. This is what the psalm is about. He raised up for us a mighty savior in the house of his servant, David. He goes on, uh, the promised son of David, I mean, uh, this is uh, a theme in the Psalms. If, you, if you're a student of the Psalms, if you get in them and dig in them, you'll see the return of David, the promised son, is, is echoed throughout the whole Psalter, and especially Psalm 72. Psalm 68, Psalm 44, Psalm 8, all of those stand in the backdrop of Zechariah's prayer. When he comes out and starts praying, all of that's echoing. His prayer is like a mosaic, a beautiful mosaic of little tiny fragments of Scripture, and it's, and, and it's like none of, none of them are full, full sentences, but he just pulls out so many fragments and puts them together into his own, his very own prayer for his very own time and his very own situation. Uh, but Psalm 72 highlights quite a bit in there, so I'm going to rush back into Psalm 72 for us today. Uh, dig a bit deeper in here. Zechariah, I'll call him Zach this morning because that's his name. Um, Zechariah um, prays in his psalm, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And Psalm 72 is attributed to Solomon, David's son. Uh, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. It's the end of that book, like I said before. He's just quoting that verbatim. Zechariah says, you have raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of his servant David. And Solomon in Psalm 72 says, give your righteousness, God, to a king's son. May he live while the sun endures. This is David's son saying, looking far off into the misty future, saying, may my great, 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 great grandson live as long as the sun is shining in the sky. It's the same prayer. It's just put in a different way. Um, Give righteousness to God, God to a king's son. So uh, it goes on. May Zechariah prays, may we be rescued to serve him without fear in righteousness and holiness. Would you guide our feet into the way of peace? Um, guide our feet into the way of peace. May we be rescued to serve him. This is kind of like almost echoing way back into um, 
to the, the story of the Exodus generation where they were in slavery, where they were in Egypt, and they couldn't go worship freely out in the desert, and God is going to make that happen. And that's Zechariah's prayer once again. Not just that they could serve him without fear and righteousness and holiness, but that their feet would be guided into the way of peace, that they would be a people who know how to live peacefully with their neighbors, with God. And Solomon's prayer in Psalm 72, in his days, way off into the misty future, may righteousness flourish and peace abound. You see, Zechariah could just be quoting Solomon here. Zechariah, God will save us from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. Solomon, may his foes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. That's a pretty vivid one. But it's echoing. Zechariah wants freedom from those who, who hate them and are oppressing them. In this case, the Romans. And Solomon is, is praying for, for that day um, that the enemies may serve him. You can see, I mean, I'm, just, I'm making the point that the Psalms are so woven into Zechariah's mind as he begins to just pray out and compose his own Psalms. And our goal as Christians, I believe, is to, to come to know the Psalms that well, too, if we can, as a way to, um, as a way to open our hearts to God. Now, I'm trying to, to teach you. There's a way to go about these Psalms, which are just a kind of dead tradition. They hit you, and you're like, that, what does that mean? But when you start to use the Psalms as they're meant, it, it's almost like your heart comes alive for the first time. And I'm going to get into that here in a bit. Um, but these, are, these, these scrolls, these ancient scrolls, the Psalms of old, um, if we can get to know them well enough, one author said, if we get to know the themes of the Psalms so well enough that whatever we're going through, whatever mood we're in, whatever emotion we're feeling, we'll know which one to pick and to go dwell in. Like, uh, if, you want, if, if you need to defend your character right now, if your, your character is under attack, that's definitely Psalm 35 for you. Uh, if you want to tell God how much you love him, that's Psalm 63. Your love, O oh Lord, is better than life. Um, tell God how hopeless you are. That's definitely Psalm 42 and 88. 88, if, if you are like, most Psalms are like, I feel hopeless, God, but, and there's always the but, but I'm going to worship you still. Most, Psalm, Psalm 88 is the one Psalm which is, God, you have been wrong. You've wronged me. I'm, I'm in misery, period. And if that's how you feel, Psalm 88 is your place. Go like dwell there because that is a real honest prayer to, to the God of the universe. Are you anxious? That's Psalm 94. Are you confident in him? That's the uh, songs of ascent. Are you suffering or in trial? That's Psalm 12 or 30. Are you sorrowful? Psalm 52 or 130, which we should all know by heart. Psalm 30, I don't. I mean, I think we should <laughs> because it's just, it gives so such much of a beautiful uh, articulation of what it looks to be sorrowful in this life. Let's come to know these, what it will look like. Zechariah did, and um, in the moment where he was ready to pray a prayer of wow, um, wow was the underlying theme, that these unexpected babies, these unexpected babies which were the salvation of the world, um, He's praying the, the psalms. He's, he's using them. God, this last example here, God looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. This confidence that he is up to something new. God has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the life of the needy. This is Solomon's great psalm, great prayer here. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. 
Same psalm, same theme. Zechariah goes on, you, John, will show them that they can be saved by repentance, by confessing sins and their neediness to God and receive his tender mercy. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is my favorite moment in Zechariah's song because he's going to reach back and, and use this imagery of the sun rising on the horizon. To, to remind us that those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, light will come upon them. The morning light will come upon those who sit in darkness and midnight. And what he's going to do with that light is going to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, I just, I, I, I wrestled with, with this, these words because I, I don't know that I have the words to, to give them their their honor this morning and, and to show you just how beautiful they are. Um, but I know that many people sit in darkness and the shadow of death. I know that if, if, if we were all honest, we, all of us at some point in our life, this would describe where we're at. Whether it's because one of our dreams that we've so deeply dreamed isn't coming true. Whether it's because... Um, We've lost someone dear to us, and we can't understand for the life of us if there's any meaning at all in it. Um, for, for others of us, it, it's a, a living person whom we've lost, a relationship who we put a lot of hope in and opened ourselves to, and, they, and it fell apart. They rejected us. We screwed up. It's job for some other people. It's, I, I was stable, and things were going the right direction, but it all fell apart. Those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Zechariah was looking around him and in his day and age and seeing uh, a people oppressed by an overlord. They were being killed at whim. They could be um, taxed heavily. Uh, but I think that their situation meets ours. And any person who can say to themselves, I feel like I'm sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. And the great renewal, the great promise of Jesus being born, isn't just that Israel had a king, but that anyone who can say, I feel like I'm sitting in the shadow of death, can once again find that deep gut level hope that a light will shine upon you. It, your, your life may not end up the way you want it to, but it will end up filled with light. And this is what God does. This is how God works. This is what happens when we, when we give our allegiance to King Jesus as, as, as the baby king. Uh, I know oftentimes people say, this whole Christianity thing, here's how it works. You believe in that Jesus died for your sins on the cross and that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Um, we, we hear that mantra. That's the way it's packaged for us. Uh, I don't think that really gets at the heart of what God is up to. I think it's true that Jesus died on the cross. I think it's true that he died for our sins. I think it's true that those who are open to God will spend eternity with him, even though heaven's only a halfway point to the new creation. So don't hear me wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish that true part of the gospel. But the centerpiece of the gospel, the way in which light comes upon us and we're freed from the, the things that enslave us and the thing that gives us most hope in this dark world is when we bow our knee and show allegiance to Jesus as our king. Another way to put this is when Jesus confronts us with his authority... 
we respond well. We open us, our hearts and say, have your way, Lord, rather than putting up our fists and saying, you know what? Screw you. <laughs> and I think that that to me um, encapsulates so much better the story of salvation um, than anyone can believe that Jesus died on the cross. The demons believe it, for goodness sake. Satan believes it. He knows that's true. But the difference between Satan and the servant of God is that the servant of God, when confronted with God's authority, bows their knee. They humbly open themselves and say, have your way. I will follow you. I recognize and honor your authority to renew this world and to renew me. And that's the invitation that each one of us has over and over and over. Some of you may have never even been, been it's never been put that way. And you're like, you know what? That's, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the way the gospel works isn't by our, uh, and the kingdom advances, isn't by our eloquent defense of the gospel, even though that's important. The way the kingdom advances is by ordinary people being willing to open their mouth and say that the, the Jewish Messiah is king of the world. And because that's true, and because that's reality, something happens in the human heart when they open themselves to that. Their whole life begins to make sense once again. Or for the first time, maybe. Because they recognize that the king of the universe is asking them once again to join him with humility, with their knees bowed. And of course, this moves us into staying loyal to him. We can, we can bow our knee to King Jesus and turn our loyalties elsewhere. The message of the gospel and the message of renewal is that those who are sitting in the land of darkness can be freed for real peace in their life by bowing their knee to King Jesus. That's the gospel. And that's what Zechariah is singing about here. And my invitation to you, friends, if, if this is something new to you or you're, if you're struggling with allegiance to Jesus, open your heart this morning. God's asking us once again to respond to that message as a servant would respond to their king. What does that mean for you today? It can mean different things for everyone. It can mean you've got some decisions in your life that you need to make. You need, you've, got to, you've got to stop some things in your life that are hurting you and hurting others. That means that maybe for the first time, you need to open your heart to Jesus as the king of your life because he's the king of the universe. I don't know what that means for you. But that's what it, that's, that's what it means. And for Zechariah, he's, he's just giving words to this over again. This is, what, this is what Christmas is about, this chance to start over and have peace sown into our life and light shone upon us. My invitation to you is this. Pray the Psalms. If, 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 um, if this season you want to get into that posture of being open to God's kingship once again, pray the Psalms. Get them, get them deep inside of you. Experience them yourself. And I just want to give you a, a few to-dos this morning uh, as, you, as you pray the Psalms. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need a commentary to pray the Psalms well. You don't need someone else. All you need is you and God. Uh, one person said, to, to do this right, to, to pray the Psalms well, to, to really receive their treasures and not just wash over them, you need to experience the feelings in them and the sentiments they express in your own heart. Um, you make them your own and all the meaning that they contain within them. This is how the Psalms work. You're not just to, you don't just read over them. There's three types of people, says one author. 
One, people who value the Psalms in theory, okay, they're good in, in theory. Two, you're convicted of their value, but you don't really enter them. You don't enter into them. But then the third point is, you know the Psalms by your experience. So how do we do this? In order to pray the Psalms, another author says, our work is to let our voices and minds and hearts run back and forth in regular and speedy interplay between the stylized and sometimes too familiar words of Scripture and our experience which we can sense with poignancy. Here's what that means. Uh, that means that if someone were to come up to you today and say, and you were honest with them and, and they, they asked you, tell, tell me about your pain. Tell me about the pain in your life right now or the hurt. You'd be able to give them beautiful words about the intensity of it all because you're experiencing them. They're immediate to you. Um, but then if you read a psalm, that, let's say, that's talking about a, a deep level of pain, you could just read over them and be like, what does this mean? But the way that the psalms work is when you take your poignancy and allow the poignancy of that psalmist's own pain and you connect the two up, sparks fly. Things happen deep inside of you. Things get calmed and renewed and restored. I, this last week, I, I had given this, this almost passionate invitation to, to join the Psalms. Five, pick five and just find your place in those five, five Psalms for the day. And I was feeling a little bit embarrassed by that. I'm like, God, what if you don't? You know, like, what if that doesn't happen? And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it myself. Flip open a Psalm. I just did that thing, flip and point. And the first Psalm, the very first sentence, just hit me straight in my heart. It's the exact place of pain. I'm like, okay, I get the point. You know, you, you've got this. Um, when, when we do so, when we connect our hearts with the Psalms in that way, we shall find that the words of Scripture bring us power and shape. I, I've done this for about a decade, friends, and I can testify how true this is. Um, so here's, here's some pieces of advice. Don't rush through them. Pick five, and if five's too much, pick one. Don't rush through them and just read the words. Go slowly, understand what they're saying. Link up its emotions to whatever emotions you have. Pause to meditate on the lines that have the deepest meaning. What are the lines that have the deepest meaning for you? And pause. You could do this this afternoon. Or write a poem on the meaning of the psalm. Uh, I love this idea. I, I, I did this on one psalm two weeks ago where I just took the major themes, I wrote out all the themes of the psalm, and I wrote my own prayer from those themes. It was a really positive experience for me. Um, okay, this is where I get real vulnerable. I decided to take a copy or a picture of one of my journals. You can see on the backside here. I, I, got through, uh, I got through school, basically, by doing this with the Psalms. It was, there were some really low moments. And you can see here how I begin. Psalm 29, I was going through the first book of the Psalms, 1 through 40, 41. Psalm, I was on Psalm 29 that day. I started off like this. I didn't read the Psalm. I just threw up on God. Psalm 29, a sense of despair hangs over me. Friends, I, like every, I, I wake up most mornings with anxiety. And some morning is something more like despair. I need every morning for God to touch that in me. Um, just, that's just who I am. That's how I've been wired. My experiences have made me an anxious person. A sense of despair hangs over me, oh God. A sense of futility over this dissertation. I am... 
Amateur, thank you. I can't read my own handwriting. I am an amateur in every sense of the word. Uh, <laughs> in my whole chort. I am, I am good, but not a master. I don't have the discipline of a master, especially since I become easily distracted by the task. Uh, that was my barf on God that morning moment. Uh, but then, then I read Psalm 29, and... The final verse of Psalm 29 gives us promise. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord gives us peace. You, O Lord, see clearly, I, I wrote. You have glory and strength. And then I just quoted the psalm. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord gives us peace. And so here's my last prayer. God, give me strength and discipline and peace. I don't uh, understand why your voice is that important. Uh, I'm ignorant and lowly. Th those were the prayers in my heart that day back in 2012, 11. I don't know when that was. You get the point. I mean, this is, the Psalms touch us. The Psalms touch our lives. And when they do, sparks fly. And I guarantee that day, I entered into my work with a little more sense of peace and strength. But friends, I'm not sure today where you need renewal um, or what you need renewal from or what you've gone through exactly. But God knows, and he's with us, and he's with you, and he's longing for us to remember him over and over and over again in our life in a way that brings us a deep-seated peace. As Christmas comes, as the 24th and 25th hit, uh, can you find a way to experience renewal on those holy days once again? Uh, this is the invitation to you today. And um, I'm not sure how, what God spoke to you or if you're wrestling with this or wh wherever you're at, it's okay. Uh, but God is here and ready to receive you in whatever place you're at. And um, as, we, as we turn to this table, once again, Jesus invites us every week to remember because life is, can be so challenging and so hard. He reminds us every week to come, take a bit of bread, dip it in the juice, Take it inside of us. Swallow it. Take it into our very being as a symbol that we are receiving him once again. It's a good chance for you to bring whatever prayer is on your heart, whether it's Psalm 88 and you're just raging towards God, or whether it's whatever psalm is, is, is hitting to you uh, in, in, your, in your own spot today. So uh, let's together finish off this service by uh, responding once again to our Heavenly Father. Friends, the table is set and everyone here is welcome.